Good morning, everyone. And again, we want to welcome um, you to our service this morning. We want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, I pray this is a blessed day for you. I'm excited to have two wonderful moms on the platform with me this morning. Uh, we have Pastor Sarah here beside me who leads our children's ministry here at Lighthouse. And we have Pastor Jennifer over there on the other side of the table who leads our women's ministry. Both of these ladies are a blessing to my life. I know they are to our Lighthouse family. And I'm excited that they're here to share today with us. You know, we realize that during this season, uh, there are a whole lot of challenges um, that you're encountering in your home, in your marriage probably, with your children, um, maybe in your finances, regarding your job. Um, there's a whole lot of things going on. And so we just wanted to bring to you today some encouragement from the Word um, that might bless you, help you, um, give you something to focus on and uh, see God at work in your life and in your marriage, in your home, with your parenting skills, in your children's lives. So um, we pray that you're blessed today by the word and that you see fruitfulness come from it. I would like to start just with sharing with um, our husbands and wives today just a little bit. I want to speak to marriages. Pastor Sarah is going to speak to um, our families that are parenting. Um, and then Pastor Jennifer is going to share in regards to worry and fear and the challenges that we have with overcoming that on a daily basis. But I want to speak and share scripture with our couples, our husbands and wives. But I want to tell you that the scripture that I'm going to share, though I'm going to speak to husbands and wives regarding it, it is applicable to any relationship in your life. So you just take the word and apply it however it works best in your relationships. But to our husbands and wives today, I want to speak to you about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now I'm going to read to you from the Passion Translation. It's one of my favorite. And I'm going to break the scripture down for you as we go so that you can get a good glimpse of it. It says, this is um, Paul writing while he's in prison and he's writing to the churches. And he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank or your position in Christ, who you are in him as a child of God, given to you in your divine calling. Now, I don't know about you, but Divine calling, in my mind, sometimes it's hard to think past, uh, maybe I don't have a divine calling. A divine calling is only for people who are pastors or missionaries or evangelists or some kind of a role like that. But the word divine calling really is simply a divine invitation by God for you to participate in what he's doing or what he wants to do. He has given a divine calling to you as a husband, and to you as a wife. When you enter into a marriage relationship, his invitation to you is to join him in what he wants to do in your marriage. You see, your marriage has the potential and God's desire for it to be the most, um, the most important thing to reflect his love for the body of Christ, his people. He wants that to be shown in your marriage. That's the representation here on earth of his love for the body of Christ. His invitation to you as a couple is that your marriage would be in such a way that the love of Jesus is reflected and draws people to him. That's the invitation that he's given to you. And then he goes on in that scripture to show us how we can live out that calling in our marriage. He says, with tender humility. Now, in a marriage, that means putting God first, your spouse second, 
and your third last. Now, I know that's hard to do in a marriage. It's easier said than done. But that's God's calling to us and how he wants us to participate. It's about honoring your spouse above yourself and learning to serve them first. It's not always about being right. Sometimes we give up our our right to be right in a marriage. And it's not always about demanding what you want to have happen. Humility in a marriage is about serving and honoring one another above yourselves. Author Rick Warren says it this way. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking less about yourself. So you can see God's divine interaction in your home when you humble yourself and you lift your spouse up above yourself. The scripture goes on to say, quiet patience or meekness. Meekness is in the King James Version. A commentator said this on on that scripture, that portion of scripture, a disposition of soul which makes one unwilling to provoke another. Are you unwilling to provoke your spouse? I don't know about you, but there might have been quite a bit of provoking going on in your home. If you've been provoking your spouse, I want you to turn to them now and tell them that you're sorry that you've been provoking them. It says you're not easily provoked or offended. And you're opposed to becoming easily irritated over things or to have resentments. This is what it means to have quiet patience or meekness in your relationship with your spouse. That you're not easily provoked and you don't provoke one another. And you're not easily offended and you choose not to build resentments towards each other during this time. We have the power to not react in the negative and we have the power to forgive one another. Your strength is when you choose to use that power that way. The scripture goes on to say, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another. This implies a patient bearing of injuries. Because don't you know, as we as uh, husbands and wives, we can injure and hurt one another. Sometimes in our words, our actions, our behaviors, our attitudes. The scripture says that we can have a patient bearing of those injuries without seeking revenge. And so as not to cease loving them on account of them. This is God's invitation to you in how to participate in what he wants to do in your marriage. By learning to walk in humility with one another, having quiet uh, patience or meekness, and demonstrating goodness, gentleness, and generous love. And he finishes the scripture, says, be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. He wants harmony in your marriage He wants love reflected in your marriage. And the more you allow God to work, the more you can reflect what he wants to do. Do you all have anything you want to add? Well, that was really, really good. I can tell you that I love what you said about humility and thinking of them over yourself. And, you know, during this time when you are there with your husband a lot, maybe some that you're not used to all that time with him. I just want to I'm just reminded as you're speaking of a time in our marriage where I didn't like Daniel very much. Um, and he's practically perfect. Uh, but I remember earlier on, on in our marriage, I taught my mind to reject those, those thoughts. I remember being frustrated with him over little things that didn't even matter, like the socks on the floor. Um, why does he have to put his socks on the floor when the hamper is right there? So those things used to aggravate me, but I trained my mind and I said, this is, I'm fellowshipping with the enemy here over disliking something about my husband. And I trained my mind to say with every bad thought that I have with my husband, I'm going to replace it with three good ones. 
So thank you, Lord, that my husband's going to work. Thank you, Lord, that he's so good looking. Thank you, Lord, that he's so good to me. And very quickly, you can change the way and the pattern of your mind. Um, so not being easily offended by things you do. We have the power to change our mind. And I'll tell you something that Pastor Daniel says in this time. Give grace and more space. Yeah, and I really like what you were saying because I was thinking of something similar. Actually, when you were talking about the three compliments, when you were talking about meekness and looking at someone else more highly, I really thought of the idea of when you can elevate someone else, then you see what they bring to the table and what they're really offering. And then the idea of we're better together than separately really starts to solidify that idea of marriage as a partnership, that we are better together than we are as individuals. But we can only see that when we're choosing to find what is it that my spouse is bringing to this relationship that I wouldn't have without him. So yeah. I think that's great. That's good. Sarah, why don't you go ahead and share with our parents um, what you have from the word? Well, I, I was asked to share a few minutes about parenting, and it's really hard to kind of hone that down a little bit, right? I mean, parenting is, is, can be a daunting task, right? It is high-stake leadership with no vacations, no do-overs. My mother-in-law says it this way. She says, not only is there no instruction manual when you become a parent, but you're experimenting on the people you love the most, right? <laughs> so it can be very overwhelming. And so when I was really thinking and praying, I thought, before I say anything about maybe some tips or strategies, can I just talk to you for a minute if you're feeling overwhelmed and just encourage you with with this. God has placed you in your family to lead your home for such a time as this. So we're all sitting and looking at 2020 saying, oh, what is going on? I never expected life to look like this. But God is not surprised. He saw everything coming, and yet he placed you in your home for this season. So what does that tell us? It tells us that he's going to be faithful to give you what you need to lead in your home, and we can stand in confidence. So be encouraged even in this season. So in light of all of that, what is our responsibility or what is our obligation to our family? Well, it's really to intentionally walk in the wisdom that God gives. I think when we live and we hear words like unprecedented times, we're tempted to look out for something new. When really this isn't a season to look for something new, it's a season to dig into the timeless truths of God's word, the promises that we find in scripture. So our roots are deep in his word so we can build a home that is stable and that is grounded. Because I think of it this way, us as adults, we can be unnerved in this season, right? There's uncertainty, it's just unsettling. So if we feel that way as adults, how much more do our kids feel that way? But that's an opportunity, for us to teach, to model, to demonstrate God is our stability. God is our foundation no matter what's happening around us. So I really just thought and asked the question, well, how do we build that stability in our homes? When we see chaos around, how do we have a home that's Christ-centered? And I just want to share three quick things, um, just ways to do that. The first one is to set a goal. And it's just set a goal, set the tone, stay the course. It's all I'm going to share. But set the goal. So what does that mean? Well, quality rarely happens accidentally, right? Quality happens when you decide that you're going to work toward it. So if we say we want to have homes that honor God, well, what does that look like? Now, I don't mean like June Cleaver, your goal for your house is that my goal is whenever my child walks up the stairs, if there's something on the stairs, they'll pick it up and put it away without being asked. Um, I don't mean perfection <laughs> or unrealistic. 
But what are goals that are based on the principles of God's word? What do you say, this is what God is calling my home to look like? What is a spirit-led home? My home will be a place of peace, a place of confidence, a place of truth. What are your goals? And just a side note on that and an encouragement, when I look through the gospels, the epistles, through the New Testament, and it talks about spirit-led life, a spirit-led life is never described as being chaotic, frazzled, or frustrated. A spirit-led life, is it because the writers didn't know what real life was? No, they were walking in the real world. But they knew, like Paul says in Romans, the life led by the Spirit is full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if God says that's what life in the Spirit is for you, he says that's what your home can be too. So be encouraged. Your home can be a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. So set the goal for your home. home. The second thing, and I'm going to step on my own toes on this, okay? Uh, Set the tone. So if I step on your toes, I'm sorry. I'm stepping on my own too. I'm stomping on my own. As parents, our job is to set the tone in our home. So I was looking at Ephesians 5 and 6 because those are kind of your most popular passages. It's interesting you were in Ephesians 4 talking about spouses, and I was looking at 5 and 6, the most popular passages for families. So Ephesians 5, we know that, and I'll just skip over some of that. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? That's talking about the relationship husband to wife. Then we all parents like uh, Ephesians 6, the first verse, children obey your parents. So we freely and readily quote that one too. But sometimes we miss Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. What does that mean? Well, that means not just fathers, but parents. It's our job to provide a tone in our home that our children can not run the house, but they can feel comfortable, encouraged, loved, disciplined, and instructed so they can become who God's created them to be. But we have to have that tone. I I say this, if you want to be regularly humbled, you wake up every morning and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if I'm not setting the right tone, would you gently remind me? Because he will. <laughs> and he will tap on your heart and say, wait, I, I thought you wanted your kids to grow up to be respectful and kind and considerate. Are you setting a tone in your home that is respectful, kind, and considerate? So we set our goal, we set our tone, and then we stay the course. You know, just last night, the boys were outside doing some yard work and working for hours, the Bernies. Uh, my husband and my son were working. And as they were finishing the project, um, Bernie, my husband, was like, oh, it feels so good to be done. And Bernie, my son, said, Dad, why do you like projects like this? And he said, because I see an immediate, measurable result. And I thought, oh, isn't it so true as parents? We wish that every day we would see the immediate measurable result of what we're doing. But we don't. But that's why it's important to stay the course, to say we know our goals. We're following the Holy Spirit, and we know that he will produce the fruit that's needed. So I want to encourage you. Yeah, it's a daily process to say, Holy Spirit, will you give me wisdom? Will you give me direction? Will you give me guidance? But when we do... He is so faithful. And then we see it, really, the fruit of it in seasons like this. We see, wait, but we're grounded in the truth of God's word. And so we're not rattled by what happens around us. So I just want to really encourage you with those things. Set your goals, set the tone, and and stay the course. That's good. I think also along with the lines of setting the tone, 
I've always believed that as parents, and particularly as mothers, we are the gatekeepers to our home. And so we have the authority. What are we allowing into our home? Uh, Are we allowing faith to come into our home? Are we opening up the gates of fear? So what are we showing our children? Are we showing that we go into the word, into the truth more so? Are we Googling everything? So just be aware um, and setting the tone that, that, that we are also the gatekeepers and we're on guard over what we allow into our homes. That's good. Um, I remember when our kids were really young, one of the things I struggled with um, was the demands of the home were sometimes overwhelming. And so we know as parents, particularly with young children, there's not much time for devotions the way we think devotions should be. There's not as much time for prayer or just time with the Lord. And I think even in this season when everybody's at home all of the time, and the demands of the family are probably compounded, maybe it's challenging. And I had a a hard time overcoming the feeling of guilt that because I couldn't spend that time in a devotion or with the Lord, that I struggled to ask him for the things that I needed as a parent because there was this guilt that if I can't, if I haven't spent that time with God or if I haven't been praying like I should or reading the word like I should, who am I to ask him for these things that I need? But I've learned over the years, that's not how God looks at us when, it, when he wants us to ask. In fact, in the scriptures in 1 John chapter 5, it says, I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. And since we have this confidence, we can also have great boldness before him. For if we ask anything agreeable to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the request we ask of him. Nowhere in that scripture does it say, if you spent enough time with me, If you were in my word this week, if you did not shout at your husband, if you did not, um, you know, brush your kids off, uh, it doesn't, none of those are conditions to asking God for what I needed to parent my children, to love my husband, to take care of my home. He just said, ask. So I encourage you, don't let guilt or shame or feelings of, will God actually answer my prayer? Who am I to ask him? He says, you can be confident that you're his child. And that you can ask, and whatever you ask according to his will, you can believe that you're going to receive it. So ask. Amen. That's good. Um, You know, when it comes to talking about fear and and worry, um, I just firstly want to say that Jesus weeps for you. Jesus weeps for you. Um, When I was preparing this message and praying for you, I just felt such a deep stirring in my heart of his absolute concern over you in this area. And just as Pastor Holly was saying, there is no shame in that. There's no condemnation in that. He longs for you to run to him with all of those worries and fears. His desire for you is that you walk in complete freedom from fear, complete freedom, and in his perfect peace. And perfect peace means that there is an absolute deep security in your heart of safety and feeling secure and tranquility of of soul. It's not that you will never have thoughts of anxiety or that you will never have uh, feelings of fear over your life or over your family's life. It's just that we are not shaken by those things, that we have learned that we exchange it for the truth. Because remember that fear is a liar. 
And when we walk in fear, we are walking in slavery and in bondage of our old nature. Jesus paid the price for us to walk in accordance to his word in our new nature with renewed minds. Anytime that you have fear in your life, in a particular area of your life, remember that it's because you're not grasping the truth of Christ in that particular area. So he longs to give you the desires of your heart like you were talking about, but he does that with a renewed, with a person with a renewed mind who knows and believes the word of God that says, I have delivered you from all of your fears. So the first thing we need to do um, particularly in these times where we're bombarded with things, is that we need to repent. Christians are in the habit of repenting daily. We are in the habit of doing this, of changing our minds. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 22 that we should never let anxiety enter our hearts. So when we fellowship with or we entertain this thought of anxiety or this worry or this thing from our past that tries to suck us back, we are now not, no longer focused on Jesus, but we are focused on that thing. And we've given it permission to come into our hearts, which then gives it power over our thoughts and our decision making. We are no longer making decisions based on peace, but we're making decisions based on fear. And we need to repent to God that we have made him so small that we don't trust him with our lives and all that that entails because he has so much for us. The scripture says he has more than we could ever think, dream, or imagine that he wants to do in us and through us and that he longs to bless us and overwhelm us with his blessing. And he does that when we've renewed our minds, when our will and our prayers and our attitudes are in a line with his, the answer is always yes and amen. And the second thing we need to do is meditate on that truth. Remember our position is one of victory. Remember that fear, it's always tactic is, is doubt. That's the first tactic of fear. But we are the church of Christ Jesus. And I'm going to go back in Ephesians, Ephesians 1. And this is a scripture that I meditated on early in my relationship with Jesus. And it's in my spirit. It says, we are seated with him in heavenly places. Even now, as I sit here, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we sit with him at the royal table. Isaiah 25 talks about a table that Jesus has prepared with a feast before him and before us, where he wipes away every tear. That place is reserved for you and me. Our names are reserved there, not because we have done anything to earn it, but because we are invited and we have said yes. And when we sit there at this table with Jesus, with King Jesus, we are captivated by his glory. There is not a text or a tweet or a worry or a thought that's going to steal our gaze away from him. We are enthralled by his presence, and in his presence is fullness of joy. Church, this is where we live. And so we need to repent, and we need to meditate on these truths that we can live with him. We need to meditate on Psalm 91, Psalm 4. 46, my God is my strength and my refuge, my very present help in times of trouble. Though the earth be removed and the mountains thrown into the midst of the sea, we will not fear. 
Those that dwell in the shelter of of the Almighty rest in his shadow. We trust him. His faithfulness is our shield and our rampart. We will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by the day. We will not be afraid of um, pestilence that comes at, at night and um, oh, the plague that comes at midday. <laughs> A thousand may fall by our side, 10,000 by our right hand, but it will not come near you. It will not come near you. Um, Jesus declares in Luke 16 that the heavens and the earth will disintegrate before even the smallest detail of his word will lose its power or fail you. So friends, remember that faith is the antidote to fear. And fear comes by hearing and by hearing the word of the Lord. We are a people of his awesome peace. So we need to repent, change the way that we think. We must meditate on his truth. We must, this is the time to dive into Bible study. This is the time to dive into the scriptures. And remember to always speak um, an agreement with him. Don't allow anything to come out of your mouth that speaks opposite of what he says. And lastly, practice communion. Practice communion in your home. Just the act of communion declares his healing and his salvation and his forgiveness and his deliverance over you and over your family. I was thinking about how sometimes... Was think in context of as parents, sometimes anxiety and worry presents itself in unexpected ways. And that we need to pray as parents that God would give us discernment if our children are having anxiety and it's maybe not expressing as them saying, I'm scared or I'm worried. Uh, one of our, our children who's our more mild-mannered one, if he's anxious, he becomes angry easily. And it took a long time for Bernie and I'd be like, why is he mad? He's never mad. But it was actually anxiety, and it was worry. And we would sit and talk to him and say, wait, let, let's look at what's really happening here. And so we have the opportunity with our kids to sit down and talk to them and say, I understand. I've been there. Here's what we do when we have anxiety, when we have worry. So the opportunity to help our children to stand on the foundation of God's truth, to walk them there, to guide them there so that they stand on all of those promises for themselves. And they start even at a young age taking their thoughts captive and saying, that's not scripture. That's not from God. And so uh, I know I, for myself, especially in times like this, I always pray, God, would you give me discernment if there's something that's just not quite right that I would know what it is? Is it worry? Is it fear? What is it? Because it might not look the way I expect it to. And he's always faithful to highlight those things and then to give us wisdom to walk them through and say, I can give a testimony that is not God. Here's what we do with it. So, I like your reference. Um, you reference the scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 um, where he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And, you know, we've been around for a little while now, me longer than you guys. And one thing that I've noticed in my life is that worry and fear never ceases to try to come knocking on your door. Um, it doesn't matter how long you walk with Christ. You may find that you've overcome in an area and fear doesn't have a hold any longer. So the enemy just looks for another area of weakness in your armor. 
But 2 Corinthians 10 talks to us about the weapons. He says, though we live in this world, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. The weapons that we fight with are not carnal, but they have uh, power and they're divine and therefore casting down strongholds. And then the word tells us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's two pictures that come with that passage of scripture. One is if we're talking in the, in the frame of reference of uh, going to battle, going to war, it's capturing the enemy and having a prisoner of war and making him bow the knee or submit to the authority. So the scripture, the, the scripture is telling us that when fear and worry rises up, it's the enemy to the things of God. It's the enemy to what God has spoken. And so we take it captive like you would the enemy that you're doing battle with, and you make it submit to the authority of the spoken word of God, which is right here. The other picture is like a wild stallion that's just bucking and going crazy all over the place, which is what happens in my thoughts. It's like a wild stallion just trying to buck and go all over the place. And the scripture refers to like a lasso cast over that stallion and causing it to submit and come under your authority. It's not my authority. It's not your authority. It's the authority of the word. But he's given us the lasso to cast around that wild, crazy, bucking fear and worry and bring it into submission under the authority of Christ. But we have to take it captive. That's the key. So we teach that to our children, that you have to take it captive. We do not fight the way this world does. We don't keep searching for answers online. We don't uh, respond the way this world has responded, even to this pandemic. We respond differently, and we take those thoughts captive, and we make them obedient. But that doesn't come easy. It comes with practice and learning to wield the weapons of our warfare that Christ has given to us. And I'm so thankful for the word because it tells us it's like a sword, and it will cut down every enemy thought, every enemy fear and worry that tries to raise itself up against the authority of Christ. He's given us the power of his word to use it, to take it captive and make it submit to his word. Amen. Well, we're just going to take a few moments now um, and pray over you and just to declare some things over you for you and your family. Um, so I hope that you have enjoyed this time. I hope that you've learned something. I hope that... Um, it has just captured you in your heart, and you've treasured some things, that you've gained some things that can help you during this time. We love you. We miss you. We are praying for you and your families. We cannot wait for the day of Jubilee when we get to shout and sing and dance with you and blow the roof off this place. Um, but we know that God is working in you, and we know that he's working in your families. 